Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the dumbbell murder. But first, your true crime headlines. The Food Network has pulled the 20th season of Worst Cooks in America after last year's winner was arrested in the murder of a three-year-old girl. 29-year-old Ariel Robinson and her 34-year-old husband, Jerry Robinson, were charged on January 19th with homicide by child abuse in the death of their adopted daughter, three-year-old Victoria Smith. Ariel Robinson was the competition show's season 20 winner. Arrest warrants allege that the couple inflicted, quote, a series of blunt force injuries to the child who died in a South Carolina hospital last week after police found her unresponsive. Investigators later concluded that the victim's death was the direct result of physical abuse. According to the Times, the worst cook's season featuring Robinson, who won $25,000, is no longer available to stream on Discovery Plus, Hulu, or YouTube, and episode recaps from that season have been removed from the Food Network's website. In an August 2020 interview following her win, Robinson told WYFF that she and her husband had intended to use the prize money to care for the three children that they had recently adopted, saying, quote, I just know that the Lord had his hands on me, and he had a purpose for me to go on there. He knew we were going through this adoption. We really could use the money, and he just let everything work out for our good. If convicted, the Robinsons face sentences of 20 years to life in prison. A $30,000 reward is being offered after a St. Louis man and his seven-year-old daughter were killed in a double shooting Sunday night in the central West End neighborhood of St. Louis City. Officials with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department said that the man, who family identified as Darian Rankin Fleming, and the girl, seven-year-old Demaya Fleming, were shot inside a parked car on the 4,000 block of Laclede Avenue just after 8 p.m. The man died at the scene. The girl later died at the hospital. The shooting happened in the eastern part of the central West End neighborhood, near Midtown. Several restaurants and businesses are in the area. Witnesses said that they heard about a dozen gunshots, but the circumstances of the shooting remain unclear. On Monday, Crime Stoppers announced a reward of up to $30,000 for any information leading to an arrest in the case. Two Michigan men who led law enforcement on a police chase last week before crashing their vehicle have been charged with homicide following the shooting deaths of two women. 19-year-old Darrell Simaj Banks and 20-year-old Dewan Dion Diego Davenport were arrested following a police pursuit that ended in Detroit. Banks and Davenport have both been charged in connection with the murders of 19-year-old Dezane Jasmine Holloway and 18-year-old Deanna Janae Davis, who were both found shot dead outside the Nottingham apartment complex in Clinton Township. 
Law enforcement began pursuing the suspects, who were driving a blue Hellcat Dodge Charger 15 minutes after the shooting. State police provided backup until discontinuing the pursuit as it traveled on I-94. A Michigan State Police Metro North trooper eventually relocated the suspect vehicle and attempted a traffic stop. But the charger took off, leading police on another chase before the suspects finally crashed on 8 Mile. A witness who reported the crash said that the Dodge ran into a pole as it was attempting to make a turn. Dashcam footage of the crash shows that the suspect vehicle collided with a barrier on the side of the road. Police found a long gun and a pistol inside the suspect vehicle. In the back seat, they found one of the victim's 18-month-old child. The child did not appear to be seriously injured. Banks and Davenport are charged with two counts of homicide and felony firearm. As of Monday, the suspects were under police guard at a hospital. If convicted, they face life in prison. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is looking for a 70-year-old man, considered a person of interest in a double murder at Realfoot Lake in Obion County early Monday morning. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation said that 26-year-old Chance Black and 25-year-old Zachary Grooms, both of Weekly County, were killed in an incident that occurred on Realfoot Lake in the northwest corner of Tennessee. Special agents with the TBI said that 70-year-old David Vowell of Martin should be considered armed and dangerous. The TBI has not said how the men were killed, but is asking anyone who was near the north end of Realfoot Lake and heard or saw anything that might help agents to call 1-800-TBI. Find. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the dumbbell murder. But first, a quick break. Keeping your body in shape is important, but it's also important to keep your mind sharp. I've been leveling up my focus with Word Forest. Word Forest is my new favorite game. It's a word puzzle app made for word search addicts, and it's free. Word Forest has over 2,000 levels, so you never get bored. Connect letters in any direction to form hidden word matches. Find as many words as possible to earn bonus coins and uncover hidden words. The game starts easy, but gets more challenging as you get better. Word Forest is a fun way to keep your mind sharp and grow your vocabulary. Put yourself to the test in this fun and addicting brain game. Right now, Word Forest is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. So the next time you find yourself mindlessly scrolling through social media, download Word Forest instead. Just go to the Apple or Google Store and search for Word Forest. Download Word Forest for free today and get ready to flex your brain muscles. We all have our guilty pleasures. Whether it's a cheesy TV series you binge watch a dozen times or an album you love to listen to on repeat. 
Some things just get better the more you play them. And one thing I never get tired of playing is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games, thousands of levels, and new ones added all the time. The game is simple and fun. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way. Like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. I've cleared hundreds of levels already, and the more I play, the more fun it gets. With new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, there's always one more level, and the adventure never gets old. This game is a must-play, so the next time you need a break from the news cycle or run out of shows to binge-watch, download Best Fiends free. Boredom won't stand a chance. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. This game has 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews for a reason. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On Sunday, March 20th, 1927, 44-year-old Albert Snyder, art director at Motor Boating Magazine, was brutally murdered in his fashionable New York City home. Albert's body was found in the bedroom, tied at the hands and feet. He had been chloroformed, his head was bashed in, and a revolver was on the bed. Picture wire was tied tightly around his neck and money from his wallet was missing. His 32-year-old wife, Ruth Snyder, told police that two burglars, who she described as, quote, giant Italians, had broken into the house, tied her up, knocked her unconscious, and left her in the hallway. Then, as their nine-year-old daughter Lorraine slept, the two men killed her husband in their bed and stole her jewelry and furs. The house had clearly been ransacked, but the police weren't convinced by Ruth's story. The house showed no sign of forced entry, and Ruth Snyder showed no signs of an attack. Ruth claimed that she had been hit on the head by, quote, a tall man with a dark mustache. Hard enough to get knocked out for five hours. But she had no bruise or bump. And the Italians seemed to have been very gentle whilst tying her up. Because her wrists and ankles bore no marks. Detectives questioned Ruth for hours. They told her that they knew the burglary had been staged. What do you mean? She replied. How can you tell? It don't look right, said a detective. 
we see lots of burglaries. They aren't done this way. A quick search of the house revealed that Ruth's stolen jewelry was stuffed under her mattress. Then, a detective noticed a small pin with the initials J.G. on the bedroom floor. Saying nothing of the pin, he looked under G in Ruth's address book and found a match. What about Judd Gray? He asked. Has he confessed? Ruth gasped. Her reaction was as good as her own confession. 34-year-old Henry Judd Gray was Ruth's lover. She had been having an affair with the married corset maker for over two years. When the police arrested Gray, at first, he denied any involvement. But when police told him that Ruth had confessed, he told them everything, explaining to police that the whole thing had been Ruth's idea. He claimed that Ruth had seduced him and coerced him into helping her murder her husband for the insurance money. Just before Albert's murder, Ruth Snyder had convinced him to purchase a $48,000 life insurance policy. Then, Ruth forged his signature on a double indemnity insurance policy. This meant that in the event of Albert's sudden demise, Ruth would receive almost $100,000, equivalent to over a million dollars today. According to Judd Gray, Ruth had attempted to kill her husband Albert at least seven times before. Twice, she attempted to asphyxiate him by disconnecting the gas range. Once, had nearly succeeded in killing him with carbon monoxide by closing the garage door with the car running inside. She tried to poison his whiskey, but concealed it so poorly that he dumped it out and said he must change bootleggers. She had even added narcotics to his medicine when he was ill. But Albert just wouldn't die. Not only had Albert Snyder survived all of Ruth's attempts to murder him, he hadn't even noticed or suspected her. Perhaps that was because he paid little attention to Ruth at all. The J.G. pin that the police found on the bedroom floor had not belonged to Judd Gray. It was a keepsake from Albert's first fiancée, Jessie Gouchard. From the beginning of their marriage, Ruth had been competing with her memory. Though Jessie had been dead for more than ten years, Albert was still in love with her and wouldn't let her go. He hung her picture on the wall, named his boat after her, and even after the birth of their daughter, told Ruth that Jessie was the finest woman that he'd ever known. Rather than compete with the dead woman, Ruth Snyder chose instead to take a lover. In 1925, Snyder began a series of affairs 
that ended with a thin, mousy, and unremarkable man named Judd Gray, the New York Times wrote. Gray, a corset salesman, and Snyder met in varying Manhattan hotels for their adulterous trysts. The relationship wasn't enough for Snyder. She began to plan the murder of her husband, enlisting the help of her new lover. Snyder persuaded her husband into a $48,000 life insurance policy and began varied attempts to kill him, all of which he survived. Finally, on Sunday, March 20, 1927, Snyder's assassin, Gray, opened the side door to the couple's sprawling New York home and, armed with a weighted sash, attempted to bludgeon Albert Snyder. Judd Gray was such a slight man his vain attempts at murdering Snyder managed only to awaken him. Albert Snyder grabbed Gray by the throat and began to strangle him. Ruth Snyder took over the operation, grabbing the weighted sash and killing her husband with a crushing blow to the head. The couple garroted Albert Snyder's neck and stuffed his nose full of chloroform-soaked rags for good measure. The second stage of their plan was to stage the murder as an accident. Snyder moved her valuables around the house in her attempt to make them appear missing. She hid her jewels under the mattress and hid her fur coats in the closet after Gray's refusal to steal them. Her criminal ineptitude was only beaten by Gray's attempts to stage a break-in. He upturned chairs ripped up pillows, opened drawers, and hid the murder weapon in the basement in Albert Snyder's toolbox. Gray left the house after refusing to knock Ruth Snyder unconscious, instead binding her hands and feet. Journalist Damon Runyon called it the dumbbell murder because it was just so very dumb. Another reporter called it a cheap crime involving cheap people. When Ruth learned that Gray had confessed and pinned the blame on her, she too admitted to the murder, but blamed Gray. The former lovers had turned on each other without hesitation, and the New York tabloid press had a field day. Ruth Snyder was cast as the femme fatale Ruthless Ruth, the Granite Woman, the Synthetic Blonde Murderess, Black Widow, and Vampire Wife. The Mirror hired a famous phrenologist to analyze Ruth Snyder's skull from photographs. He concluded that her mouth was, quote, as cold, hard, and unsympathetic as a crack in a dried lemon. Natasha Rambova, a reporter best known as Rudolph Valentino's widow, wrote of Ruth, quote, Her fault is that she has no heart. Ruth's lover and accomplice, Judd Gray, a Sunday school teacher, was cast as a victim, seduced and manipulated by a devious, if ultimately inept, murderess. He told the Daily News, quote, She would place her face an inch from mine and look deeply into my eyes 
until I was hers completely. While she hypnotized my mind with her eyes, she would gain control over my body by slapping my cheeks with the palms of her hand. Both had confessed to the crime, but each claimed that the other was the mastermind. So Queen's District Attorney Richard Newcomb obtained their indictment as co-conspirators. They would be tried together. It was a media frenzy. Over a thousand spectators clamored to the court, hoping to catch a glimpse of the dumbbell murderers. Even celebrities attended, including director D.W. Griffith, mystery writer Mary Roberts Reinhardt, author Will Durant, evangelists Billy Sunday and Amy Semple McPherson, and many others. Con men sold fake tickets to the trial for $50, and vendors outside sold stick pins featuring the murder weapon, a sash weight. Judge Townsend Scudder told the jury that their task was not to determine guilt, but to decide who had done what. Both had confessed, but each had given conflicting accounts. Ruth's lawyer stated that her husband, Albert, quote, drove love out from the house by longing after his dead fiancé. He also claimed that it was Judd Gray who had tempted Ruth by setting up the double indemnity insurance policy on Albert Snyder. Ruth played the wronged woman on the stand. She told the court that Judd Gray was a drunk, who led her astray, and that the whole thing was his idea. Once, she told the court, he even sent me poison and told me to give it to my husband. Judd Gray's lawyer described his situation as, quote, the most tragic story that has ever gripped the human heart. He argued that Judd Gray was a law-abiding citizen who had been manipulated by a, quote, designing, deadly, conscienceless, abnormal woman, a human serpent, a human fiend, in the disguise of a woman. That he had been, quote, drawn into this hopeless chasm when reason was gone, mind was gone, manhood was gone, and when his mind was weakened by lust and passion. Judd Gray told the court of Ruth's multiple attempts on her husband's life and testified that Ruth Snyder, quote, arranged the joint plan and jointly participated in the actual killing. Ruth Snyder's lawyers claimed that, quote, Gray was determined to take the life of Albert Snyder and that she endeavored to prevent him from so doing, and that she was not present at the time Gray struck the blows. And she testified that she believed she had dissuaded the defendant, Gray, from his alleged evil purpose. It took the jury one hour and 40 minutes to reach their conclusion. They accepted Judd Gray's version of events. 
Gray had struck the first blow with the sash weight. Albert Snyder had groaned and turned, and Ruth Snyder had finished him off with the final blow, after which they together applied the strangling wire and added chloroform-soaked cotton for good measure. Both were found guilty, and on May 9, 1927, Ruth Snyder and Judd Gray were sentenced to death in the electric chair at Sing Sing. Both filed appeals. Judd Gray sought a writ of habeas corpus on the grounds that his constitutional rights had been violated by the joint trial rather than his own separate trial. Ruth Snyder sought a stay of execution on the grounds that she was a necessary witness in a civil suit to force the insurance companies to pay the benefits of Albert Snyder's life insurance to their daughter Lorraine. Both appeals were dismissed. On January 12, 1928, Judd Gray and Ruth Snyder went to the electric chair. Judd was first, and it didn't go well. His feet caught on fire. But that wasn't the headline. Ruth was the first woman to get the chair at Sing Sing, and the eighth woman executed for murder in the state of New York. Before the executioner flipped the switch, Ruth Snyder was asked if she had any final words. She chose to borrow the famous last words of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At the exact moment, the executioner sent the electricity coursing through her body. A Chicago Tribune photographer, Tom Howard, seated in the reporter's pool, crossed his legs and triggered a concealed camera that he snuck into Sing Sing, strapped to his ankle. The forbidden photograph of Ruth Snyder's execution in the chair hit the front page of the Daily News the next day, under the headline, Dead. The shocking photo became the most famous tabloid image of all time. Tom Howard was paid $100 for his photo. To this day, photographers are banned from executions. And for decades, anyone attending an execution had to lift their pant legs for camera checks. Howard's infamous ankle camera later became part of the collections at the Smithsonian. And the case would go on to inspire the novel and film Double Indemnity. Ruth Snyder is buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. Her footstone simply reads May R with her date of death. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder Minute.